So, uh, are you still here? <laughs> How are you doing? So, is this the way you meditate? Yeah. Is it different? Is it new? Is it new? Are there questions or things to share or things to say? What book would describe the kind of Shikam that you teach? I learned from a book called um, The Way of Energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that book is actually on the on the uh, Awakening Truth website on the resources book list. Okay. And um, Deer Park Monastery does a very very sweet little um, qigong series with uh, sticks, and there's a YouTube of that. Um, we don't haven't I haven't yet uploaded it to the Awakening Truth website, but I think if you if you look for Deer Park Stick Chikung, mm-hmm. you might find it. If you get one of those yuccas that are out, and cut them six feet long. Oh, yeah. They're super light, mm-hmm. and they're fabulous. Okay. Yeah. The, the way you did the guided the loving kindness was just totally a different experience for me. Did it work for you? Yeah, it really worked. Like yeah. I was just like totally feeling that I was just imagining myself, my mom just like embracing mm-hmm. me, and I just mm-hmm. so got it. So it's really, mm-hmm. I've had a hard time with the living kindness meditation. Yeah, well, the Vasudhi Maga has it written down that you start with these phrases, and so people then I grabbed onto the Vasudhi Maga as the deal, <laughs> but the Buddha did not say that that you have to say these phrases. This was a much, much, much later um, commentary. Mm-hmm. And then people just fixated that that actually was the way to do metta. And I have never once ever been able to connect with phrases. Never. Mm-hmm. It just has never worked for me. So I've found other ways that have. No, I'd also like to say that that meta experience was the most tangible and sort of deeply permeating um, sense that I've had on doing any kind of meta. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was just releasing tears and joy, and, and it just felt very healing. Thank you. Um, I'm teaching a, the New Year's retreat with Terry Ray. And she's fabulous the way she does metta because every time it's entirely different. Absolutely, every time it's totally new. It's just wonderful. Yeah, just wonderful. Yes. I don't really feel that much cheap. I mean, yes, but then not so much. And so, what about that? That's something that you develop. Yeah. So, I mean. You know, each one of us has our own kind of, um, whatever, our learning curves, our aptitude. You felt it here? Yeah. 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 
And so that this is this this is easier because there's a lot of there's a lot of friction and then and then there's a, a direct way of feeling the connection between the two points. So this is the easiest. And then the other takes more I mean, whatever. Takes whatever it takes. Um, you know, our our the world that we're living in, you know, I don't know how many when it actually happened. Well, I guess it was in the, the, the turn of the the time of reason, you know, the where reason became the religion of the of the day, where everything else then like turned into senseless matter, mm-hmm. and and so life and animals and wood and trees and all the rest of that, it you know we it was not as important as our as our reason. So many of us are not that. Um, it's a, it's a learning. To reconnect with our own body and to connect with the, the land and the creatures around us as 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 being more than just a, a mental perception that we have of them. Yeah. I do feel that when I'm outside in nature, and I spend a lot of time outside, so I definitely can get the sense of that when I'm in nature. I just didn't get it with the, the practice that we were doing. So. Um, well, one size doesn't fit all. You know, different people have different things that they need. I mean, what I've been doing for the last... I, I live next to the Garden of the Gods, and that those rocks are um, old, ancient rocks, and for me, they're, it's like a power spot. I press my body into them. So I don't spend very much time sitting up. I spend a lot of my time lying down. Because the more skin contact I have with those rocks, the more I get in, mm-hmm. you know. And then after I've kind of like been saturated, then I can sit up and sit in a really relaxed way. But if I try sitting up before I've done that, I'm tight, or I'm sleepy, or I'm dull, or I'm doing something other than just being really present. So, you know, we each each need to find our own way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so you were renegading as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? As a kid. Yeah. As a kid. Really, you know, four or five Thank you. 
It's a really good point. You know, and I've had huge fear to deal with. Huge, 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 huge fear. I'll tell you I'll tell you the bear story. You wanted to hear about surrendering, I'll tell you the bear story. Mm-hmm. When I went to um, India for the first time, it had been after meditating for nine years. So I started when I was seventeen and started like every year I was doing 10 day retreats every day I had a sitting practice for 45 minutes for an hour I mean it was like I started with a with a lot of conviction and a lot of tenacity and I went to India and when I left to go to India I quit my job I gave away all of my belongings. I said goodbye to my boyfriend, and I bought a one-way ticket. And I told everybody, including my parents, that my mother refused to hear this, that I don't know when I'm coming back. I'll be back when I'm done. So I had the image or the idea of being a nun from the very beginning, from the time I was 17. And for me, this going to India was a kind of a trial run, you know, just to kind of test it out and see if I could, if it made any sense to me, you know. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just, you know, I was just, you know what it's like, just sort of go. So um, I had spent a number of months in, in Asia. I was in Nepal and then went to India, went back to Nepal. And I mean, I don't know what, it's maybe it's a little bit not so strong right now, but that was 1987, 86. There, it was really strong that the longer I stayed in Asia by myself, it was sort of like the more I, I, I was confused, the less I understood. It's like you're, you're, there's nothing to reinforce who you are. You know, the culture's different, the values are different. I wasn't traveling with anybody, I was by myself. So, you know, it was just like this disillusion of my of who I was. So I was in a kind of a restless, agitated space, and I thought, well, really what I need to do is just to get some of this out of my system. Because I had a, a visa to spend three months at the Mahasi Meditation Center in Burma, which is really intense. You know, it's like you know, 20 hours a day of meditation. Mm-hmm. You know? And... Um, I thought if I go like that, you know, it's just going to be horrible. So for me, whenever I, I feel uncomfortable, I head out to the nature. You know, I go out to... So I thought, well, let me just go wander around. So I went to... I was going to go to Dharamsala and visit with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and then hit up new different things. So when I got to... It had been 125 degrees in Delhi on the way through to get to Dharamsala. So I remember going to a bookstore and looking at the Taj Mahal and the book in the cold, in the air-conditioned bookstore. It was like, <laughs> you know, it's like an anvil hitting you on the head. It's just such intense heat. It's just incredible. And when I got up to Dharamsala, um, I thought, I don't want to go, I want to go to the mountains, but I had made a promise to myself that as a single woman in Asia by myself in my early 20s, I can't do that. I had to find a companion to travel with. I couldn't be walking around in the mountains by myself. So I had done that a lot, and 
local mountains and Big Sur mountains in the Sierras. I've gone camping and backpacking by myself a lot. I felt comfortable doing that. But I was in a different culture and I didn't think it was going to be okay. So I, I met a fellow who was trustworthy by appearance and asked if he would join me on this overnight trip. And he said, sure. So we packed backpacks and made a picnic and headed out. And, you know, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. So we were walking and had a lovely time and ate strawberries and found a place and was at the full moon. And fine, no problem. We got up in the morning. I was doing metta meditation. He went to go photograph things, and then we left our big packs and we headed down to a, to, a, to a ravine. So one of the things that I have always felt really comforted by was being lost. Because when I'm lost geographically, it's almost as if that's a porthole to come back into a place of just presence. Because you can't actually know where you are. Yeah, you know? So I've done that, and when I was going to UC Santa Cruz, I did that. I would deliberately, it was like I would set out on my bike, and my first objective was to get lost. Because, you know, you cram your brain with chemistry and biology and physics, and it's like, uh, you know, so just to unwind from all of that. So we were lost, and I was happy as a lark, and he was fine. It was content. Everything was lovely, and we were walking on a steep canyon trying to figure out where we'd actually dropped our packs to get back up there. And uh, he walked in front of a rock and climbed on top of it, and I walked in front of it. And he was on top of this rock. I was in front of it. And I said to him, I said, did did you notice there was a cave? And uh, he had just walked in front of it. I don't remember what he said. Anyway, from the cave came this noise. It was a growl, a roar, and a snort, and it was deafeningly loud. And from the distance of you (laughs) came a very large very, very large black Himalayan black bear running towards me. So when the face was this far away from my face, I I screamed, I went for refuge, and I passed out from fear. <laughs> and so when I regained consciousness, <clears throat> somehow or another, I had no memory of there being a tree anywhere near there when I was standing in front of the cave, but I had gotten pressed onto this tree so that my belly was pressed against this horizontal branch of a tree. And the bear was totally pressed against me. So I was having a proper bear hug. (laughs) (laughs) The whole belly of that bear was pressed against the whole of my back. And my little head was in his mouth. So those marks are not scars from shaving my head. They are marks from the teeth of a bear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost worth the story. What's that? I said it's almost worth the story. <laughs> the experience. So the first moment of consciousness was fear. Now, as you might be able to imagine, this was not a little bit of fear. This was infinite fear, and it was—it had no edges to it. It had no boundaries to it. It was absolutely huge fear, you know, huge fear. But I had been practicing for nine years, and when we practice, we watch what's arising, and we know that's different from what knows it. So there was fear and the knowing of fear. 
And then there was the thought, well, really, you know, there's no point in being afraid. You're going to die. It's like, you know, get with the program. This is what's happening. (laughs) And the knowing of the thought. The thought and the knowing of the thought. And then my whole mind-body surrendered. So I saw it. That was correct. There was the knowing of it. And I let go. And when I let go, the mind was filled with joy and interest and clarity and rapture and concentration. Mm -hmm. It was all present. And so there was just, you know, watching. So I was just incredibly curious what it was like, incredibly curious to watch mind and body dissolve. Here I was. I was being eaten by a bear. This is what's happening. (laughs) so my mind was luminous clear bright light and I had no fear so the reason why I share that story now is because when you're asking about surrendering and you're asking about fear to me that was putting the two together like big time I have never since experienced so much fear. Never. You know, that was absolutely the most amount of fear I've ever experienced in my life. But what I could see was is, is that when you actually work with it in the right way, there is the possibility of surrender. Now, I couldn't have, I, you, you can't fake that. You know, that's not something you can fake, and it's not something that you can will if the conditions came together that supported it. Now, let me tell you another fear, because this was actually in some ways more interesting. So, um, the sound of ohm welled up inside of me. Now, as a proper Theravadan practitioner, we don't do OM. <laughs> so that was always a curious mystery of where the sound came from. You know, I had heard the sound of silence in my practice, but we've never chanted anything, let alone OM. So that was always like the mystery question, where did that come from? But the sound of OM welled up as an internal sound, and all I did, all I did, was attend to it turned attention to rest on the sound of Om, to surrender into the sound of Om. That's all I did. The precise instant, the precise instant of the mind turning to surrender into the sound the bear left. Now, I had my face to a tree branch. I didn't see anything. Brian was watching from the rock above, and what he reported was the bear jumped and slid with his arms and legs spread out and for 15 feet until he regained his feeding and ran away. So it was not a, a, a small move. It was a startled move, and the bear was gone. So it was just in your mind you weren't saying it out loud? I was not saying it out loud. It was an internal sound, and that the moment of the bear leaving was just resting with the sound. That was it. That was it. So you know, I was—I was admittedly, I was a little bit, you know, 
My dress was ripped. My head was bleeding. I wasn't gushing. I had seven injuries on my head, and none of them were gushing. Um, Brian came down immediately and, you know, tried to figure out what to do. And I said, I said, I'm going to probably be a little bit weird. You're going to have to look after me. You know, I said, go find the place where we left our stuff and come back. And I went and lied down in the, in the shade. And um, he came back and he told me where we had to go. And it was too steep for him to help me because we both needed to scramble out. It was, a, it was so steep that we had to climb out. So I had to climb out. So, you know, I had, I, I had jerry-rigged something so that I would be covered because being in India, being immodest, it's just like, that's not happening. It doesn't matter that you've been eaten by there. You can't be immodest. <laughs> so, and he, which I hadn't known really, was he had been a diabetic. So of all of the people I have ever known and ever traveled with, he had the best first aid kit of <laughs> Fabulous first aid kit. So, you know, he cut my hair back and kind of, Put gauze on me and and um, had antiseptic. He had gloves. He had scissors. He had he had he had a fabulous first aid kit. So we got ourselves sorted and walked down the three hours it took to get to the first place we could go, which was the Tusita Institute, which was right up at the edge of at what was the edge then of Mukau Gunge. And then we walked in there and they called for help and a jeep came and took us to the to the clinic where I got rabies and tetanus and or actually the first rabies shot and tetanus and antibiotics and they stitched me up and then I had to walk down to the hospital to get the rabies injections and then 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 the shock started to come. So I had a delayed shock reaction. You know. But I was sitting there in the hospital, you know, with all of this. And when I got to the hospital, the bliss started to wear off and the pain started to set in. And it, you know, it just felt like somebody beat me over with a baseball bat. There was not a single part of my body that didn't hurt. Everything was painful, you know. And I was just, I was just crying. I was just sitting there crying, 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 crying. It's like, there has got to be a reason in this world why I'm still alive. And I don't have a single clue in the world what it is. Wow. I, you know? Were the bears known to attack people? So after that, all of a sudden, I was interested in bears. And <laughs> <laughs> I was asking stories. And I had no idea they even had bears. But there were, there were, I heard, I heard about 20 stories. And of the 20 stories, 15 were killed. Mm-hmm. Five lived. Three were mutilated, and two ended up with reasonably minor injuries. Me and a monk who was living in a cave who ended up with claw marks down his back. So, but the story that I wanted to jump to was when I was living in the bush in Australia, I was going through a period of unbelievable fear, incredible fear. You know, I would walk down to collect my meal, and I would say, just help me get through another day that I could go back to my kuti and survive a whole other day before I had contact with people again. Okay? I was shaking in my sandals. I was just absolutely terrified. Terrified. And so I was afraid of madness. 
I was afraid of losing complete control and of going insane. I was in a I was in a national park. I was, you know, hours away from the city. There was only one car that was leaving every day. I had no contact with people. I was on a three-month retreat, and there was nobody who was resident there who really had a lot of understanding about meditation. I was on my own. So I was afraid of going crazy. And I was so afraid, I couldn't actually even accept that that's what I was afraid of. You know, there was something about it that was shameful for me even to admit to myself that that's what I was frightened of. So while this was all happening, there was a monk who came and visited. And the monk had been somebody who, who um, built many monasteries. And another monk, because this monk had built many monasteries, came to visit him. And while he was talking to the other monk, he just casually asked me how I was. And I said, I don't know what I said, but basically I let him know that I was scared to death. (laughs) 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 And he said something initially that was really funny. He said, you know, you keep precepts. Why do you you have anything to be scared about? I was like, right, you know, right. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Venerable. Thank you very much. And then he started asking me about the bear story. Well, you know, a lot of people get off on the drama of it. I mean, it's quite the story. And, but he was totally not interested in the drama. He wanted to know the mind states. What was it that allowed you to experience that fear and surrender? You know? What was it? What was the combination of mind states that helped you surrender? And I remembered. And as I remembered the situation with the bear, then it gave me the courage to be able to apply this to this other situation. You know? The interest, the joy, the clarity, you know? Curiosity. The curiosity, yeah. And, you know, I had been shaking in my sandals for like six weeks, you know? This had been not, you know, a short thing, this had been a prolonged thing. As soon as I brought the qualities, those qualities of mind states to it and saw it for what it was, it evaporated. It was gone. You know, it was just gone. So, you know, fear, it's, my goodness, it's very powerful. It is so powerful. And it's very interesting to watch where it arises. Certainly it arises when we are, any aspect of our identity is threatened. And it, it absolutely arises when we fear that we are going to be harmed or we are going to die. And yet, you know, it's, it's possible to practice with it. Where you actually, rather than fixate on the story, you actually work with the mind states. And, you know, there are times when we, we can fight it, you know. We think we can fight it, like... With mosquitoes, we think we can fight them. But like the reason why sometimes mosquitoes are more difficult than bears is because we don't normally surrender. With a bear, it was like I didn't have a... There was like, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fight the bear. I can fight, but I couldn't fight the bear, you know? I couldn't fight the bear. So I got it because of the nature of what was happening and the circumstance that I was in that that was the only choice I could do was surrender. And for me, that's the reason why I lived. And so for me, the sense of, you know, my connection to the practice is because 
in part because of having lived through that. You know, that actually it works. You know? And, and, and what I mean to say by that is, is, is that the surrender was so complete that I had no investment whatsoever whether the bear laughed or, or ate me. I was totally at peace. You know? There was no... I, I was fine. I was totally fine. So it's like the practice really, it really works. It really, 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 really works. And so, you know, so what are we surrendering to, you know? What are we, what are we doing? So fear, I mean, it does, and it continues, it has continued to play a huge part in my own life and my own practice. But having gone through that, I have some reference points, you know, about the fact that you can experience fear that seems impossible to survive, and it, you think it's impossible to survive, and that I, mm-hmm. I survived it, you know. Yeah. Anyway. So the point of the story is not to fixate on me having been eaten by a bear. The point of the story is actually to remember that the power of surrender is, is that has built in that in its possibility the the ability to be peaceful even when the circumstances are absolutely everything that you would not want. You know? And so one thing that happens in our in our North American kind of valuing is is that we we seem to have really kind of fixated that I can be happy when I get what I want and when I get rid of what I don't want. You know, this is like a North American constitutional right. You know? <laughs> it's in the Constitution. And yet, reality doesn't always shape up like that. And so, if we really get it, that practice has the ability to allow us to feel surrender and joy, even sometimes when we don't have what we want and when we can't get rid of what we don't want, then there's a whole other kind of thing that opens up about what love is. Are you still breathing? (laughs) Anyway, just a little while ago, this thing that I've been... Do you see this? You have to get up close. This is a, a woman with a bear on her head. <laughs> Where did that come from? Gabrielle just offered it to me. Didn't a bear just visit you in Colorado when you were meditating? Yeah, I just had another bear story. That's sweet. It's a little bit sweeter, this one. Okay, came, up, came right up. Bear walked right up to me. And? <laughs> <laughs> was the same distance away. And I didn't get frightened. So I was, the bear was in my face, looking at me, stopped right in front of me, touched my knee with its nose, and then when it actually touched me, it, it freaked out and bolted and ran. When it freaked, my heart was beating, but I wasn't frightened until then. Were you sitting still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she walked right up to me, right in my face. Who scared the, the bear? 
She ran away, yeah. She said maybe you were a rock. I think she hadn't met a quiet one before. Yeah. <laughs> I think she probably had seen people before, but not a meditator, so she had no frame of reference of what to do with me. But when she actually touched me and she got it that I was one of those, <laughs> then I think, you know, she got frightened. Yeah, she got frightened. Anyway, back to retreat. <coughs> so, it's pumpkin hour now, it's four o'clock. Um, I want to say a couple of things. Um, there are a couple of retreats. There's the New Year's retreat that I'm doing. I'm doing a retreat in, um, well, actually, it starts next Saturday, if anybody has, a, has time. Probably impossible, but it's for ex- women who have a, a have done a couple of ten day retreats. I'm going to work with them one to one. If you want more information about that, you can let me know. That's in Colorado. But um, there's a there's a number of people who are only here for Saturday, and then there's a number of people who are coming for Sunday. So I just wanted to mention just that um, the organization that that supports making it possible for me to live the way that I do needs support. And it's not just financial support. It needs help with people um, contributing time and skills and organization and stuff. And so if you would like more information or you'd like to help, then let me know. We can put you in contact. <coughs> yeah, I was going to say something about just to the people who are leaving today. Please, yeah. Don't mind. No, please go ahead. Um, for those of you who are leaving today, I think Amma already made it really clear um, how she is supported in her life. <laughs> so um, we have the opportunity to continue that support. And if you're coming tomorrow, you can, of course, do it tomorrow. You can also do it today. Um, we have There's a bowl in the back for any kind of offerings that um, you'd like to make. And, they can, and if you write a check, you can write it to Awakening Truth, which is um, Amma's Sangha in, uh, in Colorado Springs. And, or cash is also welcome. And, and we'll pass it on so that it's used for support of Ama and the furtherance of her ability to offer teachings to us. So, thank you very much. So I just want to um, close with um, just a very short little uh, meditation, metta and sharing blessings. Yeah.